0: How are you guys doing today? Come on, you glad you came to church this weekend? Man, we're so glad you're here. Welcome to LifePoint. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife Stephanie and I are so honored to serve this house as pastors of this church along with an amazing team. And we're so thankful for all of you, especially that are here for the very first time. LifePoint, can we give it up for our first time guests today? Come on, thank you for coming. There is a QR code on the seat back in front of you at this location and also digitally at all of our video locations. We'd love for you to scan that and just fill that out quickly and connect with us so we can follow up with some simple next steps for you. Also, I wanna say hello to everyone joining us online through our online campus and today at Austin P, our students and that campus is meeting at the uc ballroom and we want to give a big special shout out to those of you that are at our austin p location we love you guys so thankful for you the summer's a a a unique time to be on a college campus but how many of you know you guys are doing a great work and we're so thankful for your faithfulness there and man we're so blessed one church in many locations and thank you for uh, being a part of today's services i also want to say uh, one of our services at our rossview location is a video service and so one of you guys, one of, your, uh, of our service times today gets to watch this by video and thank you for your flexibility with that. Preaching four times in a row, it is exhausting. And so I appreciate your flexibility and your care for my physical health. That was an appeal to you to just thank you very much. All right, hey, as I always do, I wanna say thanks for being a generous church and, and really I wanna focus in on the thanks for that. We, we are a church that believes in and practices tithing. We do it corporately. And we also believe in it uh, individually as families. And so that is that we bring a tithe or the first 10th portion of our income to the Lord and we give it to God through his church. We don't give it through other charities, etc. We We bring a tithe to God through his house. And then we give offerings to organizations beyond that and, and special projects and ministries, etc., uh, like serve day, missions trips, and more. I've been reading through Second Corinthians a lot this year. In fact, I've been, I keep coming back to that book of the Bible more than anything else this year in my personal devotion. I actually read through the whole thing yesterday And in that letter, uh, the Apostle Paul takes a few chapters to lean into the Corinthians on their generosity. But he does so from an an attitude of thankfulness. And he applauds their generosity and the generosity of the Macedonians. He just takes time to brag on the giving of the Christians. And I just want to stay there and join Pastor Paul with being a thankful pastor to you. I mean, what you're doing through your giving is making a huge difference not just here, but around the world. In fact, we've got two missions teams that were in Mexico this week. Our students are still there. Today's their last day. And they were able to build two houses and fully furnished because of your giving, two houses for these two families in Mexico. And I just want to say thank you. I mean, you made a huge difference. They, we, they've been sending back pictures and updating. And we'll have a video for you, I think, next week or in the next two weeks to show you what their trip did. But these young families and little kids that now have a home and now have a place, they lost it all in a fire like six years ago. And it's taken this long to rec- recover that. And life point, your giving made all of that happen. So thank you for that. But, but if, if you don't hear thanks enough, and honestly, I'm not sure as a culture... We say thank you enough, which means we don't hear it enough, but let me just say thank you on behalf of a thousand kids in our Kid Point ministry who get goldfish and animal crackers and get to hear about Jesus every weekend because of your giving. Thank you for the hundreds of middle school and high school students, college students, and young adults who get to hear about Jesus and receive ministry in small groups because of your generosity. Thank you on behalf of a staff who has provisions made for their families because of your giving. Thank you on behalf of dozens of church planters who get to live out the dream God put in their heart this year to plant a church in a new city. We've even got church planters coming to Clarksville that God has put it in their heart to start another church in town and we welcome them and we celebrate that and we will stand with them as well. Thank you on behalf of the hundreds of missionaries that we support and stand with who've packed up their families and their whole lives to move to another country in Asia, Europe, South America, Africa, Central America, to start a work for God among people who have little to no gospel witness. Thank you, church, on behalf of local ministries like YAPAC Outreach, Hope Center Ministries, the Hope Pregnancy Center, Athletic Ministries, many of these birthed right out of our own church who are seeking to make a difference right here in Clarksville. Second Corinthians chapter nine, Paul writes this in that letter. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, I many even know it's, it's, it's something we enjoy more when somebody says thank you, you know what I'm saying? So that's why I'm thanking you to remind you this is a blessing and a privilege that we get to give generously. And, and he goes on to say, God is able to make all grace abound to you. He's talking about because of your generosity, God will make all, the grace, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is the back end of your generosity. God's favor and blessing is on your life as well. So thank you for being a generous church. Thank you for giving. Thank you for making a difference. We praise God for what he's doing through our church. Amen, everybody. Praise the Lord, thank you for that. Hey, uh, we do need to just pause and take a moment. I just wanna say, we, we need to be praying over our nation. We need to be praying over cities in our nation. I mean, from New York, Texas. Yesterday, we got a text or this, was it this morning or last night? A, a shooting at a, a young adult church um, in Iowa and uh, our, our young adult and college pastor is from there and uh, two, two young ladies were killed in a church service. And so we, we just need to be praying before you start posting and sharing all your opinions and getting all political about it we need to be prayerful about this and we need to be prayerful that that what the devil uh, is trying to do that God would thwart attacks of the enemy and this is demonic i mean to just Take lives just without reservation and to kill children and to go into grocery stores and kill folks racially motivated. Whatever the motivation is demonic, it is not from God, it is evil, and we need to pray against evil and stand against it. And how many of you know the weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they're spiritual and they're mighty and they're strong. And you and I have authority, according to Jesus Christ, to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil. And we exercise that authority in prayer, not in posting or politicking or petitioning. We exercise our spiritual authority as people of prayer. And I wanna encourage you to pray. I wanna encourage you to weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn. Don't, don't get into the fray of trying to figure out and let's wait for answers. No, weep with those who are grieving and stand with those and offer, condolence and offer more than thoughts and prayers, offer compassion and the gift of presence. Your your presence means a ton. Call someone, reach out, spend time with people that are grieving and affected. But we have the great weapon of prayer at our disposal and we need to be called back to prayer. In moments like this, in seasons that we've just been walking through these last couple of weeks, it is crazy what the devil is trying to do to upend an entire civilization. And we're seeing it all around the world. I mean craziness, just attacking sovereign nations and we have the weapon of prayer and we get to exercise that. So can we just pause right now at every location and just come on, lift your voice to God. Father, we thank you that your word says in Psalm 91 that you would give your angels charge around us to watch over us and keep us and protect us. Lord, we pray by the mighty hand of God and the power of the spirit of God, that Lord, you would raise up an army of prayer warriors and Christians around the world and around this nation to pray for our cities, to pray for those who govern, to pray for, against the attacks of the evil one, that God, we would stand in righteous authority, standing against the schemes and the strategies of the devil. That murderous spirit is demonic and we curse it in the name of Jesus. That that death spirit, that, that desire to take lives just without any reservation, to run over moms with strollers, we rebuke that in the name of Jesus and we stand against all the power of the enemy as the people of God, full of the spirit, full of the power of God, because Lord, your, your word declares that God, great things happen through your church as we stand in prayer, your word says in Ephesians, that God, you are able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power of God that's at work in us and through us. And so as the church, Lord, we stand against a murderous heart that would come against children unborn and born children, Lord, and women and black people and Hispanic people and white people, Lord, we come against that in Jesus' name, all racism, God, we curse it. In the name of Jesus, it's evil, it's not of God, and we stand against it as the body of Christ. We stand against murder, we stand against anger and resentment, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, Lord God, greed, malice, all forms of envy. God, we stand against it in the name of Jesus. We stand for you and your kingdom to advance to the glory of God. We love you, Lord. Now, Lord, we pray for those who are hurting and weeping today, God. Your word says in 2 Corinthians 1, may the God of all comfort comfort us in every affliction so we may comfort others in their affliction. God, would you use us as comfort conduits, God, as people who will bring the the ministry of the presence of the Spirit of God to bear for those who are grieving. God, help us to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn, God, we stand with the families of Texas and New York and Iowa and California, Lord, all these cities and and states that are affected by violence, racism, anger, hatred. God, we stand in Jesus' name. We stand with them to the glory of God, and we love you. Keep us humble, God. Keep us close to you. Lord, keep us close to the brokenhearted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stay prayed up church, our nation needs it, our cities need it. And the body of Christ, the church, is the only hope for our broken world. I truly believe that. Amen. Amen. Today we're continuing in the book of Acts with a message that I have titled, Open Doors, Closed Doors. Uh, It's kind of an, uh, an interesting text. It feels transitional again, and that's part of preaching through a narrative book like the book of Acts. But we're in this passage where we see Paul and Silas and Timothy in ministry and they're in kind of a transitional text, but in that text is quite a bit that we can unpack as we've seen over and over again. So I've titled the message, Open Doors, Closed Doors. They're on their second ministry journey and they've seen some amazing opportunities, some incredible obstacles, some oppression, some jail time, come on, so many thousands of converts and miracles. So he begins to experience what many of us have come to know as a closed door. So far in Paul's ministry, He's had pretty open door opportunities to go where he wants, to preach to whomever he wants to. Even in jail time, God's doing the miraculous things. But now Paul is seeking to go places and for whatever reason, God closes the door. Has anybody ever experienced a closed door in your life before? Oh man, now I'm talking to somebody today. In fact, when I was crafting this message, I just knew there are parts of this sermon that are gonna really encourage and challenge and be like from the heart of God just for you. Uh, maybe you've pursued all the right training, right? You did the degree programs, you did all the schools in the army, and and then you applied for your dream job, the thing you set yourself up for, and you just couldn't land that job. Or maybe you did all the right things in the relationship, you you maintained purity, you you did all the right things to to prepare yourself for that next advancement of relationship, but for reasons you may not understand, the, the relationship fell apart and didn't advance like you thought. And here you are with a closed door. Maybe you're trying to buy a home, especially in today's market. It seems like no matter how hard you try or how much cash you offer over the asking price, it seems there's no way you can get the dream home you're after. The no's keep coming. What if God is not only in control of what's happening in your life? Because everybody has that statement, you oh, know God's in control. God's in control. What if God is actually in control? And he's also guiding and directing you with open doors, but guiding and directing and maybe even protecting you by giving you some closed doors. Maybe that breakup was God's blessing. Maybe that no to that house was really the Lord sparing you from termite damage and a flood. Maybe God is using open and closed doors to guide, direct, and even protect you because he loves you. What if God's opening doors in his timing has more to do with his will than your will? The Bible says in Revelation 3 that God can open doors and nobody can shut. And he can close doors that you and nobody else can open. I've read it. I've read a meme that says, when God closes a door, just praise him in the hallway. That's not in the Bible. I'm just, it's cute. I read a, a meme that says, when God closes a door, he will open up a window. I don't think that's necessarily always true either. And by the way, you come in a window with a locked front door, somebody's gonna shoot you. You know what I'm saying? Like, that ain't Bible, that's internet 316. You know what I'm saying? Like, just be careful. Well, it's closed door, I'm a climbing the window. Boom, you're dead. All right, So, or at least injured. I, I remember after graduating from my master's degree, I was 28 years old. I got a master divinity training to be a pastor. and I was applying for jobs as a senior pastor. I had a lot of confidence. I had finished my degree, but apparently I wasn't ready. I didn't know that then, because at 28, you're ready to do everything. But I can say that with confidence now, something I wouldn't have said then. I wasn't ready, but God knew I wasn't ready. But in my lack of readiness and lack of trust, I remember being really angry at God. I remember being really frustrated and questioning God and and frustrated with these church boards and denominational leaders who didn't see in me what I thought they should see in me and I was selling really hard in the interviews. I'll never forget, uh, as I was approaching graduation, I didn't have a a church job. So I walked in to Papa John's and I started delivering pizzas because I had a pregnant wife and the school year was ending and I needed income and I have a work ethic and I don't understand people saying I can't find a job. There's always jobs. You can go mow grass or do something. But my wife was pregnant with our second kid. I was making about six bucks an hour at Papa John's. That did not include tips. It doesn't feel like a long time ago, but that wasn't very much money. Uh, By the way, side note, always be a good tipper because you never know the young seminarian with a pregnant wife who delivered that pizza to your house. (laughs) But I remember during a particular day shift at Papa John's, I was doing a phone interview on my wired earbuds. Come on, somebody. I was doing a phone interview while cutting onions and tomatoes and prepping the day for pizzas. And I did a phone interview with a church in Alabama. Now we know it wasn't God's will, but I was searching, I was searching, I was searching. The truth is the church board was very kind. I interviewed well, but they gave me a hard no. And that day I got the no while I was working at Papa John's and I had very few deliveries because it's summertime and who likes a piping hot pizza in hundred degree weather. And I remember one day, on that day in particular, <laughs> on that day in particular, I drove, I drove really far to make like one, or one delivery, there weren't very many that day, and the tip was nothing, it was like a dollar. And I had an open door to pizza delivery and a closed door to pastoring with a seminary degree. And I was angry, I was sad, I was confused. I remember yelling at God in my car, driving back. And let me just say something, God can handle your anger. I'd rather take it out on him than on my wife and kids. I remember punching my passenger seat in just anger going, God, why did you bring me to seminary to deliver pizzas? And these cheap, suburban, you know, I'm just yelling. <laughs> oh, people at the biggest houses are often the worst tippers to pizza drivers. I'm just saying, why did you bring me through this massive degree? So expensive, just to hear No but God knew I wasn't ready. What about you? Have you dealt with God telling you no? Have you worked yourself up for something only to be told no and have circumstances not work out in your favor? I've actually taught this for years since I was a young Christian. God will answer every prayer you pray, but not always like you want him to. I believe God answers every prayer with yes, no. How many of you know that's an answer? Every parent knows that's an answer but every kid hates that answer. And there's a third answer God will give. Not right now. I believe God will answer every prayer in one of those three ways. Yes, let's do this. Hey, I'm sending you. Yes, you can go that way. No, that's not my will. Or just not right now. And I'll be honest with you, this one, that third one is the one that, just be clear, God. Give me clarity, yes or no. I'm not ready to answer you right now. Well, what do you do? I mean, how do you trust God when you don't get what you want or you don't get it in the timing or you don't see how he's working in a situation? Can you trust God with a hold on, with a not right now? Maybe there's a dream he gave you, but not a date for when that dream will happen. Can you allow God to truly direct you, even if he directs you out of your will in order to direct you into his will? I think a Bible characters like Rahab, who was a prostitute, and her life was totally redirected by God. And actually, because of the miracle of of what she did, we, we get Jesus as a result. I think of Sarah, this hero of the faith, Abraham's wife, who was unable to conceive a child her whole life. And she thought, for sure, this is a closed door forever. I'll never have a kid. And then God gives her a child as a senior adult. And God's plan through that child, Isaac, would be the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis 3 that through the seed of a woman would come the Savior, Jesus. Maybe that not now. It's because God knows what he's doing. I think of David when he was anointed king as a ruddy teenage boy, and he had a promise from God that he would be king. Not right now. He had the promise. He'd been anointed, but he had to go another six to ten years, including being uh, chased down and threatened to be killed by the current king. He had to wait. I want us to jump out of the text a little bit today because I want to give you this bigger idea of trusting God with open and closed doors and God's will and God's timing. But I want us to see it in the text. And the first thing I want you to see is that God is in charge. Don't ever forget that. God's in charge. Guess what? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything's God's. The timing of the Lord is perfect. How many of you remember that old song? He's Seldom early, he's never late, but he's always right on time. (laughs) Is that a song or is that just an old country saying? I don't know. So watch what's happening. Paul has now joined with uh, Timothy. We saw this last week. Timothy is this young man who now joins the ministry of Paul and Silas. And we're picking up after that story and in verse six, it says, so they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. You got to remember, they're, they're out of Jerusalem. They're in what's called, would, would have been considered Asia or the Asia minor area. For us, it's Turkey. It's kind of where um, the, the 1040 window, kind of the Middle East meets Southeast Europe, right? Turkey into Greece. That's kind of where they're traveling a lot right now. But the, the names of the cities at the time, Phrygia, Galatia and they've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of God in Asia. I I don't know, that just puzzles me. They're on a preaching tour. They're on a ministry trip and they're forbidden by God to preach in Asia. And when they'd come to uh, Mysia, which is a little further west. They attempted to go into Bithynia, which is a little further north up by the Black Sea, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Okay, this is an interesting text because you would think Paul and Timothy were doing the assignment God had given them. Their whole gig was traveling to different cities, preaching and starting churches. So now they're traveling and they're coming into new cities to preach. And God says, don't preach there. This seems bizarre. I mean, this was their whole job. It's what they trained for. It's what the apostles commissioned them to do. But God is in control and God closed the door. And then they move further to, to Mysia, north towards the Black Sea in Bithynia. And a God says, again, no, don't go there. Now, if I were Paul, I'd be asking God, but Jesus, like you told me to go into all the world, preach the word everywhere. It's what I do, God. You ever go to God with what you do? <laughs> hey Lord, do you not know? And maybe that's been your struggle. You're good at something you've trained for. You've only focused on that one relationship. You've kept it right. You've kept it healthy. You've prayed it through and you've totally prepared to start your family or maybe to start having kids. Now you, you finished the degrees, you bought the nursery. And for some reason, It doesn't make sense. God says, I know you've done all the work to prep yourself, but I say no. And maybe his no is saying not yet. Because here's a little spoiler. Paul goes back to Galatia and he actually writes a letter to the Galatians. (laughs) I mean, it's not no forever. It's just no for now. You can't have that promotion yet. You can't get that Ranger tab yet. You can't start your family yet. You're not ready for marriage yet. I want to ask you this hard question. For all of us that are struggling with God, saying no, or God just saying not now, I want to ask because I care for you as a pastor. Even in your gift sets, even in your wheelhouse, do you trust God? Do you truly trust God's will and God's timing? Do you trust God even when he says no to this, or not now to that, or maybe when God says, yes, I want you to do this thing you've never done before. Proverbs sixteen i I'm gonna throw some scripture at you to just show you kind of the heart of God towards this topic. Proverbs sixteen nine. the writer of Proverbs says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. I went to grad school, I paid the money and it was a lot. I got good grades. I got my resume together. I interviewed well, but God directs our steps. Is this resonating with anybody I'm talking to today? Man, Lord, I, I got the degree, I bought the house. I prep. I shave for dates and the Lord keeps closing the door for relationship. God, we're ready to start our family, not yet. Lord, I'm ready to start that church, not now. God, I'm ready to move to Tennessee, the glory land from the West Coast. Yes, come along. I love meeting West Coast families that move here. And there's a lot of you coming. Um, Welcome. The next step is heaven. But you can put all your plans in place. Listen to this you can put all your plans in place, you can do all the preparation. But it's God who will establish your steps. Do you trust that? Now, you can get out of God's will. You can go headlong into your own plan and your own will. And how many of you know going your way is not always as fun as going God's way? We're people of God. We trust God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, this is a promise to the Israelites in a time of exile. So we got to remember there was a context for this promise. But it shows the heart of God, not only for them, but I believe it's the heart of God for us. God knows what he's doing. Look, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Do you remember that? Do you believe that? I did a young adult round table, a couple, uh, oh, about a year ago. And one of the questions that came up was about finding a spouse. And a lot of young adults, you know, statistically, young adults are marrying later than ever before in the Western civilization. And they're struggling into their late twenties going, How, you know when am I gonna find my spouse? When am I gonna get married and settle down and have kids? Or, or I know a lot of young couples that are struggling with infertility issues. But listen, if you can trust God for your eternal salvation to take you to heaven, a place you've never seen by a God you've never like physically seen, if you can trust God to save you and take you into eternity, you can trust God for who he's gonna bring into your life to marry. You can trust God for your career. You can trust God for everything. If you can trust God for eternity, you can trust God for this life. But do you? Do you trust a text like this where God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Maybe God doesn't have the plans that you have for yourself. We're told as little kids at five and six years old, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And some of us live that dream out, but God's like, yeah, that was never my plan for you. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And look what he says, plans of welfare are good and plans not for evil to give you a hope and a future. Maybe we should spend time seeking the will of God for our lives instead of the will of five, six, eight-year-old us or the will of, what, well, my daddy did it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Psalm 31, 14 and 15, the writer of this psalm says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. And look what he says. My times are in your hand. I want you to remember this. Listen, you can trust God. Notice Paul didn't argue with God. But, but God, I'm a preacher. This is what I do. What do you mean I can't go and preach in Phrygia and Galatia? What are you talking about, Lord? Paul didn't go, well, that must not be God. I, I must have had a bad dinner last night, some bad falafel. He didn't argue with God. He heard the Lord's direction. He didn't question it. He trusted God. He didn't debate God's directive. He didn't call a committee meeting. Oh, praise the Lord. He heard God say no, and he stayed faithful. Here's what he didn't do. He also didn't stop. Just because Paul heard a not now, a no, don't go there, doesn't mean he just sat down and was like, well, I'm not doing anything then, God. He didn't pull a four-year-old fit and go, I'm not going anywhere, you know. He just kept traveling. You gotta understand, Paul heard don't go there and he's like, okay, well, I'll just keep moving. How many of you know it's, it's hard to move a parked car? Just keep moving in your life. Keep following God. Keep trusting the Lord. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep going to church. Keep belonging. Keep doing the things that are possible and let the Lord have the freedom to direct you. He didn't stop because God said, don't go there. He kept moving. We'll see that in a second. Isaiah 40, verse 28. The writer, Isaiah, God says through this prophet, have you not known? Have you not heard? This is, I love questions like this in the Bible because it's rhetorical because they would have known and heard. (laughs) Anybody ever do this to your kids? Do you not know? You know, like, do you not know what I say as your father? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator to the ends of the earth. He, He can handle your situation because he's the God who handles the whole situation. God's in charge of it all. Don't ever forget that. Look at this. He's not faint. He doesn't grow weary. Here's what you got to understand. God is bigger than we are. He goes on and he goes through a number of things. But in verse 31, Isaiah writes, but they that wait for the Lord. That means we trust God shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Listen to me, somebody needs to hear this today, it may be for one person or for all of us, we can trust God, he's still in charge. You may have to wait a little longer, but keep trusting God. You may have to grieve that dream that God gave, or that you had and accept God's no for your dream because God wants to birth in you his dream. But I promise you, he may be keeping you from something in order to bless you with something. Never forget that your God is a good God and he's your God. He's everlasting in your life. He knows your wants and your dreams and your plans, your desires. He hears every prayer you've ever prayed. He is never not listening, but his timing is better than yours and you can trust him. He may tell you yes to something you never thought you'd do, He may tell you to give like you've never given, go serve on a team like you've never, go do a short-term missions trip. For the first time, God's saying yes to his calling to your life. Witness to that coworker. Tell that friend or neighbor about Jesus. God may call you to do something you've walked away from. You can trust God. If he tells you yes, then you can believe he'll help you. We just sang about it. If you said it, I believe it. You can trust God about marriage or starting a family. You can trust God about that dream job. You can trust God in your singleness. You can trust God in that painful relationship. You can trust God about a house. You can trust God about promotion. You can trust God with your secrets and with your pain and with your sin. You can trust God in that breakup. You can trust God because God is faithful. God is in control and God is good. He's the creator to the ends of the earth. God's in control, don't forget it. Second, I want you to see, God can direct us and redirect us, but it's always on purpose. So Paul and Timothy and Silas, they're coming through and Galatia shut down, Phrygia shut down, Mysia and Bithynia shut down. Verse eight says, so passing by Mysia, notice they didn't stop moving. They didn't just sit down and go, I'm not gonna do anything then. They didn't pitch a fit with God. So then passing by, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. It was a man of Macedonia, which is further west towards Greece. He was standing there urging Paul saying, come to Macedonia and help us. And so when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, notice we saw it. That's an interesting little note we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, here we go, God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So when God says, don't go to Phrygia and Galatia, we don't have the vision to Macedonia yet. When God says, don't go to Mysia and Bithynia, we don't have the vision to Macedonia yet. It's when they were willing to obey God and not go there, then God gives them a vision of where they are going. Incidentally, I just want to nerd out for a second. This is just something for the dorks in the room like me. Um, So far, Luke wrote this letter, this book, uh, Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he always writes about Paul and Timothy, Silas, all these people in the third person. He, they, she, them, they went, whatever. And now, notice uh, we've got first person plural here. So when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go. It's the first time you see this happen. Luke is now introducing himself into the story of acts because he was a companion to paul we don't really if you don't know that luke had all these details in the book of acts because he was a companion to the apostle paul he was present on the road with paul especially from here forward a lot of the first part of acts was uh, record keeping and interviews that he did but now once we get into act 16 luke is actually traveling with him that's just a little um free nerd moment for you brought to you by uh, diet coke all right anyway So I want you to remember Paul, Silas, Timothy are on a ministry assignment, told not to go there, not to go there, not to go there. But now we see God redirecting them. God uses a vision, which we see a lot in the scripture. God uses dreams and visions to speak to people. And he'll still do that in your life, by the way. Paul has a vision about moving on to Macedonia to preach. And and they all concluded this was God's assignment. This is why we couldn't go there. Could you imagine if they had gone there, God couldn't have sent them here? And and here's the thing, you've gotta be willing to let God redirect and direct your life and him say no to certain things in order to say yes to other things. How many of you know not every opportunity is a God opportunity? God directs us and God can redirect us. God's assignment on Paul's life was to preach to Gentiles but God's redirection was not to preach to those Gentiles for now, but to head to Macedonia. It's like when your GPS reroutes you, come on driving down 24, you still have the same destination, the same end zone. I'm, I'm still gonna preach to Gentiles, but God said, you're not preaching to these Gentiles, you're going to the Macedonian Gentiles. But, but a GPS, when you have a wreck or something in the way, it'll reroute you a different experience, but to get you to the same destination. It's like when God puts it in your heart to build your family with your spouse, but infertility becomes a roadblock and God reroutes you to adoption. Praise God, you're still building your family, but God does it through a reroute. Or when you're pursuing a career you've trained for, only to be sent through a wilderness for the first couple of years uh, before you get to the place that God had, had, had wanted you to go. Two of our pastors on staff were sharing this week that there was a delay in them getting on our team. For Pastor Willie, our small groups pastor, he expressed and felt God directing him to be in pastoral ministry here, but there was a two year delay for that to happen. And there were some things God had to work in him and, and in his life to prepare him through that delay. For Pastor Elmer, it was a four, four four and a half to five year delay for him. In fact, I interviewed Pastor Elmer five years before he came on our team. And then he had to go take a trip to Australia for five years and do it all bougie. And then God redirected him to Clarksville in heaven. But that reroute, that detour was purposeful for he and his family and taught them some things that they needed to learn before God put them on our team. And they're better because of that reroute. But do we trust God for that? Paul was able to immediately respond to God's call to Macedonia because he hadn't committed himself to Phrygia and Galatia. Could you imagine if he's like planting churches and preaching over here and God said, I want you in Macedonia. He's got to say no to all these people that he started this work with. We know that Paul would go back there again later, but what if God wants to reroute some things in your life? What if his plan includes a detour in your life, in your faith journey with your family? What what if God's saying no to something now because he's really wanting to do something else in you first? Maybe that's why God would send you to rehab or back to school or to become an intern at your church. What if God's saying no to something now because he really wants to do something in you first or through you first. See, God would use Paul and Timothy and Silas in Macedonia first, and that would actually set him up for some great things in ministry. They would base a lot of their ministry out of that part of the the world later. After I finished my master's degree, I delivered pizzas for six months. And I went on staff for almost two years at a church after that in what I considered the most challenging two years of my adult life. see, I finished grad school thinking I'm gonna get a, a, a job as a senior pastor, and, and I was really looking towards the South and Tennessee a lot, but no, no opportunities were available. I had an open door at Papa John's, and then I had an open door at a church that I really struggled to work in. And I'll spare you a lot of the details, but God had to work some things out of me before he could bring me here. God had to break some things in me and to teach me some things about me. God had to do some things with me before he was ready to use me like like I was training. In fact, it was in those years that I also built some lifelong relationships that I carry with us even today, including the relationship we have with Convoy of Hope as a church was birthed in those two years of difficult season that I had after grad school. I didn't like the not now back then but I'm grateful for it now. That redirect was great for me long-term. Does God have the right to redirect your life, to reroute your life, to reroute your future? What about your money? Does God have the right to reroute your money? You've saved and saved, you've planned and planned. Can God redirect your money towards something He wants to do? Not that boat or vacation home or that thing you've been planning for. Can God teach you something through giving significantly and sacrificially? Every time Stephanie and I have tried to save to a certain dollar amount, God directs us to give large portions of it away to missions and to the church. Can God have some of your calendar, even during uh, times that you've made plans for, maybe your family vacation, God would redirect and say, hey, I want you to give a day of your vacation to serve day this summer, or want you to share your faith with someone while you're on vacation, even on the beach. Can God have the right to direct you and to redirect you and use it for his glory? Maybe like Paul, God would say no to something that's in your passions in order to use you somehow differently. I was wrestling through this even in my own history. You know, I went to my undergraduate and my training was all in music. And I never use that anymore. Never. I mean, we, we sing and play and stuff at the house. My girls are all taking piano lessons. And, and my wife and I, we, we sing and I have a musical ear and opinion. <laughs> but otherwise, I, I never use music. God totally redirected my life. Does God have the right to do that in you? What God did in Macedonia would prove to be powerful. The Thessalonians are there, the Galatians are there, but Paul would end up meeting Lydia and her conversion ended up changing a whole family and they based their ministry out of there because they were obedient to go on this reroute to Macedonia. The last thing I just want you to see, because all of us wanna say, yes, I wanna trust God. Yes, I wanna let God have his way with me. But I do want you to see that if God can direct you, he will provide for you. When God directs, he provides. Let me just read it to you um, and then we'll, we'll pick up in verse 14. But so now setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, uh, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So they had headed to Ro- Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were suppo- where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One of the women who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. She wasn't a follower of Jesus, but she was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. In other words, Jesus is drawing her to this gospel that Paul is presenting. And after she heard it afterwards, she was baptized and look at this, and her whole household as well, her husband, her children, her servants, everybody. And then she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful now to the Lord, come to my house and stay there. And it says she prevailed upon us. In other words, she convinced us. So now Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, are in a strange place. They have no, nowhere to go. But in following Jesus there, God provided lodging and meals and a base for them to base their ministry out of. I just want you to understand something. It seems like a small point, but realize that they're traveling and literally trusting God as they go. They're originally gonna to go to Galatia and Phrygia, but as God rerouted them, God says, hey, not only do I want you to see them saved and this community saved, but I'm gonna provide housing, lodging, and food for you to base your ministry. By the way, the conversion of Lydia and her whole family, it's amazing. I mean, she, she was a leading lady now in the church, by the way, she was seeking God, but she just didn't know Jesus. She was a worshiper of God, she just didn't know Jesus. So, so Paul comes to like connect the dots for her and to introduce her to the Lord of eternity, Jesus Christ. And she responds to the gospel. She was saved along with her whole family. That's an amazing reason to go to Macedonia. I just wanna close with this call back to trusting God and God's provision. God may ask you to say yes to some things that you've never said yes to, and I want you to hear me, he'll provide for you. God may say no to some things that you're asking for, or pushing him for, and I want you to hear me, God will provide for you. God may say not now, not now on that promotion, not now on that family, not now on those kids, not now on whatever, planting that church or starting that ministry. God may say not now, but in the waiting, God will provide for you. Can you trust the Lord for that? It's great to see that God provided for them. But they didn't see that provision at first. You have to understand, when, when they were told don't go to those cities, it wasn't don't go there, you're gonna go somewhere else and I'm gonna give you a, a rental house, a, an Airbnb for a month. You know, like none of that was clear when they decided to obey God. How many of you know hindsight's 2020, right? Faith is always strong in the rearview mirror. But part of trusting God is not knowing how it's all going to work out, not having all the clarity, not having all the answers, but obeying God anyway. It wasn't part of that original vision come to Macedonia and help us, and we're going to give you an apartment. But they went, they were rerouted because they trusted God. Can you trust God to provide for you, really? Do you only trust your hustle and your provision and your grind? Can you trust God that he's what you need more than whatever it is you've been chasing or wanting? Can you trust God's open doors? Can you trust God's yes when he calls you or tells you to do something new or that he'll meet you on the other side of it? Can you trust God's closed doors? Trust God's no, that he knows what he's doing when he closes a door to that relationship or that job or that move. Can you trust that when God says, not right now, it's not that the dream's been removed, it's just the timing is not yet. Can you trust that he's doing something in you first? He's doing something through you first? Brennan Manning wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. He also wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I encourage you to grab that. And in the book, you read a story of a man who uh, had a conversation with Mother Teresa. And she asked this young man, how can I pray for you? And he said, please pray for clarity. He wanted clarity on God's will. He wanted clarity on God's voice. He wanted clarity, wanting answers, prayers, answered the way we want. We want clarity on the end goal. We want clarity on everything from God. And she said, I will not pray for that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and you have to let go of if you're gonna trust God. John Cavanaugh was the man's name. He commented that she always seemed to have clarity that he longed for. And she laughed and she said, I've never had clarity. What I've had is trust. She said, I will pray that you learn to trust God. Trusting God requires that we walk by faith, not by sight. Trusting God requires that we learn how to bear with uncertainty. And we know that we're secure in the everlasting arms of God. He's the God of eternity. Trusting trusting God, says that we surrender our plans and we believe for what God has in mind for us is far better than what we can think or imagine. I wanna challenge you today, do you trust God? Do you trust God's direction in your life? Do you trust the open doors that God's provided for you? Do you trust the closed doors that the Lord has closed in your life? Do you trust the yes, if God says, do this, that he's gonna meet you? Do you trust the no? Sometimes, Hearing no is like one of the hardest things, but I look at at necessary endings and no's and closed doors. And I look at those as a gift from God, sparing me and protecting me and looking out for me. Can you trust that the Lord may have birthed some things in you, but he's just delaying it for a little bit longer. And he knows why, because he's doing some things in you. He's doing some things through you. The greatest way we trust God is for our salvation. I think a lot of us, trust God to save us and take us to a a heaven we've never been to, way quicker than we trust the Lord for our promotions or our relationships. I wanna tell you, that's the greatest and the first place you need to put your trust is in Jesus as the Lord of your life and Savior of your eternity. If you've never done that, man, today's the day to do that, you can trust God. He'll meet you on the other side, He'll walk with you through this life and He'll give you the greatest eternity could ever imagine, but you got to trust God for it. Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of things that we hope for, it's the evidence of things that we haven't seen. He goes on to say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And he's actually referring to the faith unto salvation, to trust God to save us. Without that kind of faith, you won't please God for your own salvation. I think we need to reaffirm our faith in Jesus today. Could you just bow your heads with me at every location? Open your hands to God. Just be honest with the Lord today. Repent of where you haven't trusted God. Tell the Lord, I haven't put you first in finance or in relationships, or I haven't trusted you well with my career and my advancement. I haven't trusted you enough with my salvation. Can we just open our hands to the Lord and just tell the Lord, I need to trust you again. I need to put myself into the ever loving arms of my God, my father, my savior, my healer, my redeemer. God, we are gonna trust you today. Lord, we're gonna trust you with our salvation, with our future, with our family. God, we're gonna trust you with our provision and with our health. We're gonna trust you, Lord God, in the areas that we've struggled. We're gonna trust you, God, all over again in Jesus' name. We're gonna trust you, God, with provision, with timing. Lord, we're gonna trust that your yes is an affirmation of your will in our lives. God, we're gonna trust that your no is an affirmation of your protection and guidance and covering for our lives. Lord, we're gonna trust you in the meantime as we wait on the timing of the Lord. Our life is in your hands and we're gonna trust you, God. Primarily, God, we're gonna trust you for our eternal soul and our salvation and our transformation as people of God. Would everybody just pray this prayer with me at every location and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Say, God, I trust you. I'm choosing to trust you to place my faith completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and raised from the dead so that I may have salvation. Say, I receive your forgiveness. I accept your salvation. I trust God for my eternal life. I also trust God for this life. I put my life in your hands. Now pray this it. Come on, everybody say, God, I'm all in. You lead, you guide. You direct my life as my Lord, my Savior, and my Master. In Jesus' name. Come on, say, you said it. I believe it. I believe your word. I believe your leadership. I believe your timing. In Jesus' name, I trust you, God. Amen.